Welcome to the very first episode of the Safe Transition Talks podcast. This podcast series is about our future with artificial intelligence, with most of the focus on AGI or artificial general intelligence. This is a type of AI that has not been invented yet, but would be general enough to be able to perform all tasks at human level or above. AGI that does what we want could be great. It could be used to eradicate poverty and cure diseases like cancer, for example. But there are grave risks. Many experts believe AGI poses an existential risk even, or in other words, it could end humanity. In this podcast series, I will be talking to experts to mainly try to answer the question, what can we do now that will bring down the probability of a bad outcome with AI? If you are new to the topic of the future of AI, I want to say this episode is probably not the best introduction to the topic. In the coming months, I will make a solo episode where I will take you along from zero knowledge of AI to understanding our current bizarre situation. In that solo episode, I will explain why AGI is likely to be dangerous and what we can do about it. That said, I think this episode is still relatively easy to follow, but you might want to look up a few words. This episode, I will be talking to Thomas Hickey. Thomas is an ambitious student at Utrecht University in the Netherlands. He does two studies simultaneously, one in AI and one in philosophy, and he has almost finished his bachelor programs. He contacted me because we are both a member of the Dutch AI ethics community, and he heard I gave a talk there about AGI. If the ethics of AI are interesting to you, not just AGI, but broad, you can look it up on LinkedIn or contact me and uh, join the group. My name is Alex van der Meer. I'm Dutch and I am halfway through my master robotics and mechatronics. I have completed multiple technical courses on AI and have been reading books and stuff online about it since 2018. For the same reason as starting this podcast, I have already talked to several AI professors and other experts to test my views. But from now on, I will try to record those conversations so you guys can listen in as well. In this episode, we will talk about how fast or slow AGI will learn once it is here. We touch on super intelligence and Thomas teaches us how to kill your opponent in a chess game using only normal gameplay. So yeah, let's meet Thomas Hickey. You told me that the subject of your thesis uh, is AGI and uh, in specific uh, recursive self-improvement. Is that right? What, what's your thesis about? Yeah, so I'm trying to identify so like a philosophical approach and trying to identify what the possible bottlenecks could be from AGI to have like a fast takeoff and then kind of honing in specifically on recursive self-improvement and what might uh, be a bottleneck for that. Okay, interesting. So, um, can you explain uh, to the audience what is recursive self-improvement? So, I guess it's a bit of a misnomer because 
uh, generally when people talk about recursive self-improvement, what they actually mean is just for an AI, and then I guess more specifically an AGI, to be able to bring forth a new AGI which has improved capabilities, including the capabilities to bring forth an improved AGI. And you got to see how that can lead to like an incredibly quick uh, wrap up of speed and capabilities for an AGI. But so it's not really self-improvement, it's more like I call it like successor improvement. But then identity is kind of still there because they expect the successor to still have the same goals as the current uh, AGI has. Uh, to prepare for this, I read uh, some some parts of uh, the 2014 book Super Intelligence by Nick Bostrom. He uh, defined the, um, the intelligence explosion or the recursive self-improvement uh, period as uh, having a starting point of uh, a human-level AGI, so a human-level AI. That's the starting point. And then the question that he asks is, okay, how long does it take then until you reach what he calls strong superintelligence? And that's uh, the situation where you have uh, an AI that uh, is some step above uh, humanity combined as a whole in uh, intelligence and, uh, and capability. Um, and he talks about a slow takeoff being decades or centuries, uh, a moderate takeoff being months or years, and a fast takeoff being uh, minutes, hours, or days. So if you define it like that, starting from a human level point and um, the time until strong intelligence, strong super intelligence, then what would be your answer to what you expect for the speed? I mean, okay, it's, it's difficult. I guess if I think about it now, I'd say the slow one because we already have non-artificial human-level intelligence and they're not able to recursively self-improve at that speed. Right? We, have, we have a lot of humans now. Okay. And it's like, what, what is the level of access that an artificial intelligence would have that a human doesn't have, which will cause it to be so much quicker? And I think maybe we overestimate that when we say that it's a fast takeoff. Okay, interesting. I want to note that uh, Bostrom himself in the book, he says uh, he thinks the slow uh, takeoff is the, the least likely and it's uh, more likely to be fast or moderate. I have an interesting uh, take on this, which is that I think it will be uh, zero seconds for this uh, jump to to occur because... I don't mean like a small amount of seconds, like 10 milliseconds or something, but I mean like no time in, at all because he defines uh, three forms of uh, superintelligence. Uh, the first is quality superintelligence, which is like Einstein has more quality intelligence than uh, we do or uh, uh, we have more quality intelligence than a fish. But he also defines collective speed intelligence which means that uh, if you have a group of, and no, I mean collective superintelligence, when you have a group uh, of individual AIs, which together can outcompete humanity. Um, and a third thing he defines is a speed superintelligence. 
And he defines it as uh, being at human level intelligence or smartness, um, but much faster, multiple orders of magnitude. And I would say that um, the first moment we have a human level AGI, it's already going to be a speed super intelligence. Don't you think? I mean, I guess what you, what you see now in like the, the the like the narrow artificial intelligence is that it's much faster than all humans. Like you can, yeah, yeah. You know, the GPT you can get an essay in seconds, for example. Yeah. So then it would definitely be true. Uh, but then I think an important factor here is how much of intelligence is dependent on existing technology and infrastructure, and. Are you able to replicate that in a digital environment or do you actually need to make that physically? And are you then kind of not that, can you, there's that kind of a bottleneck for the speeds you can have. Where like, for example, you know, we need to run experiments for a lot of time, a lot of science. And there's kind of physical processes there and you can't speak those up. True, real-time uh, experience gathering is slow compared to digital uh, experience gathering. But uh, first on speed, I want to make um, share an observation, like you said, make an essay in seconds, and that's that's a testament to the speed. But uh, also a good thing to compare with is the image generating systems, and uh, if you take Dolly 2, it um, takes 10 seconds to create four images and they run it for free. So I guess if they would take more expensive hardware, they would be able to run it at least 10 times faster. So then it would be uh, two and a half seconds uh, going to 0.25 seconds for an image. And I went to an a website where you can hire artists and I made uh, some estimates and uh, I calculated that they take about 50 minutes for one image and that's uh, a speed up factor of 12,000 uh, times. So um, I think that's a, that's a good one-on-one -on -one comparison between a human and uh, an AI doing something. So therefore I would, expect uh, it to be a speed intelligence. And you say like a real world experience is slow, but uh, you can already go pretty far with um, digital experience because you can uh, learn from all, all electronic games. Um, you can read the whole internet. You can go watch all of YouTube. You can do online courses and um, yeah, a lot, a lot of things you can do, but I've, I think it's also possible that once you have a human level intelligence or an AGI, um, you could simulate a lot of things because you could then make a simulated game where the other players are uh, like copies of the AGI, just like in um, uh, the, the game of Go, the AI Alpha Zero uh, was playing different versions of itself. So if you could do the same thing, but then in simulation and you could uh, have it be 
in some world where you could have the task of run a business or something. And then they all be negotiating with each other and trying stuff out and experimenting that, that would be a very, um, uh, rich set of learning for the AGI. I think, don't you think? That's true. And I think there's also a degree to which you can think how accurate can a simulation be at so how much are you able to reduce the simulations complexity while still keeping everything that is important in there? Yeah. Or do you just need to... Right, so kind of my my theory for real life, for example, which kind of goes off of uh, Wolfram's A New Kind of Science, where he talks about, I think, the, the theory of computational equivalence and the principle of computational reducibility. Okay. Uh, it's like, I don't know if you know about cellular automata or Conway's Game of Life. But um, uh, I know, but I know about the game of life. Um, but maybe you can explain it for the audience. Yeah, so the game of life is a kind of a set of very simple interactions that particular like cells on a two D grid have with their environment, with like their direct neighbors, the cells around them. Uh, and these very simple rules can lead to actually very kind of complex patterns and behavior. And the interesting thing about the game of life is that. You can't actually reduce it. So if someone shows you, like, this is the starting grid, D cells are white, D cells are black, and they can change color based on the neighbors, you can't you can't comp uh, make a computation to find out what the state will be after X steps, except for actually running it for X steps. Okay. And if so, so there's no uh, approximation uh, that can be done uh, until now or something. Yeah. And if something like that is the case for real life as well, you kind of need to run real life in real time in order to find out what the what outcome will be. And that and that then would still, you know, cause a significant bottleneck for how how fast an AGI can be. Yeah, yeah. There, there's always the the gap between the simulation and the reality. But I think also in the area of real life experimentation and experience gathering things can go super fast because um i'd like to think about the example of uh, let's say you have an um an agi and uh you give it the task of becoming the best robotic surgeon in in the world so uh even though it at that moment does not have uh, greater intelligence than the best surgeon in quality intelligence. I think um, if it could attain 10 lifetimes worth of experience, it would outcompete uh, the best human at it, probably. And uh, how do you get 10 lifetimes of experience? Well, a lifetime of experience for a surgeon is about 40 years. And if you have 800 robots and you let the AGI operate those robots in parallel, then you um, have 800 years of experience after one year, but in half a year, you would have the 400 ex uh, years of experience required. So uh, then the question is, can you do that? Uh, gather experience in parallel? An example of something that's already going on in the real world is the Tesla full self-driving project. 
and then uh, you have uh, around a million cars gathering experience. It's not fully improving itself because humans are labeling the data, but when it can label its own data by being judgmental about how it went, like we can, then um, you have that if one car uh, has a certain situation, so a piece of experience, a lesson that is learned from that is pushed to all cars. So all the cars uh, have learned this lesson then. So you're not limited to one body uh, as a human is, but you can do it in parallel. So I think in that way, you can speed things up, even though you're dealing with the real world uh, to a great extent. What do you think? I think that's a very interesting case. And I don't, yeah, I think that makes sense. And it, you still, there's like so many new, um, I guess, uh, bottlenecks come in come into play there where you need to have a certain amount of cars or more like surgeon robots you need to continually build them you need to have an environment for them to operate in uh and as, as of right now at least all ais are a lot worse uh generalizing just from like a single example than humans are but if you have this much data this much uh, copy, if you have a lot of computation power as well to train on that data then i do think yeah you can do a lot more than humans can now in terms of learning. Yeah, yeah but now you're thinking of current uh, methods, but uh, if we take like the the AGI starting point, then uh, it doesn't need that much more examples or computation because it's, it's already at human level. So it just lacks the experience and then it can get it pretty fast, I think. Yeah. It- then I guess you start running into problems of at which point do you saturate in learning? And is it like, I've learned all that I can learn and the rest is kind of just contingencies in the environment itself. Yeah. Like with my sensors or actuators. Uh, And the question is, of course, like, is that, is that level, it's probably going to be beyond humans, but is that going to be far, far, far beyond humans? Or is that going to be like, you know, a couple times better than the best human. And then there's not that much more room for improvement. Like, are, are surgeons close to perfect or not? That's an, I guess that's an open question. Yeah, um, it is an open question because we have no data on minds better than ourselves. Uh, but uh, I have a strong intuition that we are not the best minds that are possible would be very unlikely yeah because just one argument is that in our current ai systems that if you make them larger meaning they have more parameters they perform better um and uh the human mind uh is like the human body mind person system um is really constrained by um physics to not be too heavy and uh, not consume that much energy and um, there are other constraints but if we completely say uh, we we don't care about the energy you can be uh, have like an entire uh, wind park powering you how large could we make it you know like it's it's crazy compared to humans and um, there's also 
a big argument, I think, in uh, calculating numbers. So humans suck at calculating uh, large numbers, small ones too. Like we're super slow and uh, it's it's difficult for us, but um, a computer can do so super easily and uh, incredibly fast compared to us. Uh, so that is an example of how we are not perfect and we are not at the top of what can be done. So I think it's really plausible. There are a lot of other ways in which we are not perfect and uh, not optimal. Yeah. And it's, it's usually exactly those things that we think, you know, we are the best for or the best at that we are actually really bad at. Where like how easy it was is for an AI to play chess and beat the best chess player versus how easy it is for uh, an AI robot to like reach and grasp objects versus a toddler. The last one is much, much harder. Yeah. For certain things. And then we don't have, but it happens subconsciously so that we don't think that it is difficult because we don't really consider what is going on in our head at that time. Yeah, true. Uh, Boston talks talks about this as that we have specialized subsystems for certain things. Another example is uh, like vision. Um, we have specialized uh, subsystems for for vision that make it really easy to recognize objects. It it takes uh, almost no time for a human to recognize something as a chair, you know. Uh, so I wanted to ask you uh, about something Nick Bostrom said about uh, philosophy. He uh, he writes that we lack this subsystem for philosophy, and that's m- maybe the reason why we have been struggling with uh, all kinds of philosophical questions for millennia. And he says, on this view, our most celebrated philosophers are like dogs walking on their hind legs just barely attaining the threshold level of performance required for engaging in the activity at all. So do you feel like uh, you are a dog walking on your hind legs? A lot of the time, yes. <laughs> I think that's true for <laughs> of what, uh, like humanity's greatest achievements are all just like, basically the first moment we were able to do it, and we were the first of our kind to do it, we immediately went for it. And we're just about able to like how we're able to like, I mean, it's amazing anything works at all, really. <laughs> yeah, good point. So, so what uh, what other bottlenecks have you discovered in your uh, reading on this subject, or uh, are you looking at? Yeah. So, uh, I guess I first try to evaluate and look at what is the the premise that underlies our our reasoning for thinking. There can be AGI, there can be recursive self-improvement. And very often you see, so what, what, what it can't be is something like, oh, humans are so smart, they can set up these, uh, these functions for evaluating how smart an AI will be. And then we just train it according to these functions, they'll get smarter and smarter, because then you kind of, by default, kind of, they would like max out at the human level, because we... We can't really think of anything beyond that. Uh, and so what a lot of these appeal to is uh, kind of an analogy with uh, evolution. And now evolution itself is a very simple algorithm, and it has brought forth human-level intelligence. 
Yeah. Uh, and if you start reasoning from there, you run into into a lot of interesting, I guess, problems, but also concepts. Uh, because what what is it actually that makes uh, evolution so so strong? Is not actually the algorithm, but it's kind of a co-evolution with the environment. I don't know if you buy into that. But I think like real random point um, mutation. What, what, what do you mean with co-evolution with the environment? So, uh, in terms of that, our evolution is kind of adapting to an environment. Yeah. And so it's actually dependent on the complexity of the environment, how complex any organism will be that will kind of come from that uh, environment that will evolve yeah. into environments. Yeah. So, and if you extend that to AI or AGI, you run into similar things where it's like, okay, so we need to have a very complex environment for the AGI that comes from this to also be sufficiently complex. Yeah. And then, and do you run into the same problem as before where like humans have to set the standards for an environment that selects for intelligence for this AGI? That also seems kind of impossible even though you were trying to first got evolution to be like, oh, it's very easy algorithm. From this, we can get to very complex uh, intelligent life or artificial life forms. Uh, and then maybe you run into something like, okay, the real world, you know, having an AGI run into the real world and then a fitness function based on that because it's the most complex environment we have. Yeah. Uh, so next to being kind of unwise because of the risks associated with an AGI running out in the wild, uh, there's already a problem in the environment that it doesn't really select for intelligence. It selects for survival. You can see a lot of the deficit, like humans are deficient in a lot of ways. They have cognitive biases and almost all of them, maybe all of them, I don't know, are there in support of survival and not of intelligence kind of intelligence is this byproduct that causes humans to be kind of more I mean, general in their intelligence to be able to adapt to a lot of different environments yeah and that's how a bottleneck could be how do we simulate this environment or if it's in the real world you need to have very fine-grained sensors and actuators uh, yeah. and then does it kind of adapt in a wrong way where we humans kind of adapted in a wrong way. We, we have, we have all these, we have all this technology that allows us to survive kind of in spite of what uh, our evolutionary algorithm says, right? We're supposed to reproduce. We're supposed to be, have high genetic fitness, but we, based on our considerations, we want to just have sex without reproducing we would like to keep disabled people alive and give them a high quality of life. And yeah, we're missing. Happened for an AGI. We're misaligned with evolution. You're yeah. saying, and I guess that also, kind of, in terms of selecting for intelligence, you have this problem, but also for AI safety, you have this problem where it's misaligned with our values, where we are basically yeah. the algorithm. Yeah, I'll, let me respond. Um, so. Um, you're raising doubts whether we can uh, create a complex enough environment to create a complex enough agent, right? Mm -hmm. 
but uh, I would say uh, the real world is definitely complex enough because if you um, just give it a task, it can be like anything and you say maximize it uh, without specifying uh, like the upper bound, there's always room for improvement. Well, you don't know, um, sometimes not, but compared to us, there is a lot of improvement on just about anything. If you look at how we are able to improve on things. So if you say, um, make, make the, the world's most best tasting cake, for example, that already requires a higher level intelligence than, than us, because, um, also when you say when you've made it make a better one if you've made it make a better one so then you have to so do you see what i mean i think you can yeah. come come up with tasks that are enough to require a more intelligent agent yes and then there's still so we could probably already have an uh super intelligence if you define it in intelligence in an instrumental way of are you able to bring things about? Because you just give an AGI a lot of like things to blackmail people with or a lot of money to bribe people with, and it can get anything done more than any human. Like a person with infinite money is super intelligent in that sense. Because it could it can bring about more than any human can. But there seem to be these constraints kind of on a societal level and maybe lower individual levels where your, what you want to do kind of has to align with what other people want, want, their, want to happen because yeah. they are in charge of certain technology and infrastructure that you need to employ to realize your goals. Yeah. And like, does, does an AGI transcend this magically? Does it find like clever ways to go around this? It's, I mean, this is a possible bottleneck as well, right? Like, how do you fight your way around the real world, which has so many competing wheels of people that all yeah. have different goals, but who you need to rely upon to achieve your own goal? Yeah, well, uh, my answer would be there is a crossover point, uh, which uh, Nick Bostrom calls uh, having a decisive strategic advantage. And uh, before having a, so what this, what this means is that you can outcompete anyone and you can do whatever you want ever after that because you're more powerful. Uh, so it doesn't matter what people think. But before that, uh, you have to um, play by our rules because or else we'll stop you. Uh, and that holds for humans and the AGI, I think. Yeah. And that, that's the question is like, will it ever break through that or not? Because I, I do agree that once you have a decisive strategic advantage, well, it's, it's just in the term, then you have a decisive strategic advantage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's your question. Well, I'm totally convinced that it is uh, uh, possible and also likely, uh, and also likely to happen fast because um, I think. I think of myself like being uh, a university student which uh, has been able to pass his uh, bachelor in electrical engineering successfully. 
I think that level with in of intelligence combined with the advantages of being a computer these days. So the speed uh, advantage we talked about, the parallel uh, group learning we talked about, um, and there are other advantages. But if you combine those, uh, I think my intelligence as a computer would be enough to take over control of the world. And um, I'm not sure of that, but I uh, would give it uh, definitely like a 20% chance or something. So definitely in the school, you better not risk it. You know, if there is this, there's not a threat of AGI, but there's a threat of a threat of AGI. And so you don't want to take that chance. Yeah, definitely. But um, uh, so I'll pass it back to you. Uh, do you think your intelligence could could be enough to take control of the world? So you have to uh, also take into account you can copy yourself and uh, work with other versions of yourself in a giant team. So you could have like uh, a team of uh, 10,000 uh, Thomases and uh, when some when one Thomas learns something, you all learn it, and you're like twelve thousand or five hundred thousand times faster than we are. So would you be able to take over the world? I, I think, given enough time, but I don't think really quickly. You don't see in in like normal biological, not artificial humans. You don't really see that at a higher level of intelligence because a lot of this is intelligence in like the non-instrumental sense but just having knowledge of everything and being able to learn everything you don't see people with a high level of intelligence necessarily have more power than people with lower intelligence but power seems to be distributing it along a different axis than whatever it is for intelligence something to do more with money and political power yeah. and connections and those might still be very hard to build up for AGI. Okay. Uh, well, uh, you say might be possible, but not quickly. But um, I would say if it's 10 years or 20 years, uh, a lot of people would think in AI timelines that's really uh, slow and not fast. But if you look at a human lifetime scale, taking over the world in 20 years, it's pretty fast. Um, yeah, definitely. So, uh, would you be able to take over the world in twenty years in this way? If I really put everything I had into taking over the world, I don't yeah, know if that'd be that. So the situation is that it is your goal. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't want to say anything okay. with too much conviction. But uh, to respond to what you said about. Um, power and intelligence are not uh, like uh, they're they're different and um, so what what I think is I heard this quote and I think Elon Musk re repeats it a lot of times um, it's 1% inspiration 90% perspiration or something and what he means is uh, like you you have to uh, uh, be the opposite of uh, a quitter you have to persevere really hard and you have to be super motivated and motivation and perseverance are different traits than intelligence.
But I think that if you uh, make uh, make it conditional and you say of the people that have super high motivation and have uh, a super high perseverance of those people when they want the same thing who wins and then i would say the one that is most intelligent don't you think I feel like you can do so. He does like very effective misinformation campaigns runs. That's kind of against you know in being intelligent being run for like you know the tobacco industry gets exposed. It's it's able to keep its head afloat for like you know full decade or something after, even though everybody knows much what other people know. They themselves know, and it's not it's not through how smart they are. It's because they're such a huge industry with all these connections that they're able, in spite of. I guess, you know, intelligent people being able to say something otherwise that they can keep going. Bit of a weird example. Interesting. But, um, but I do think that they chose their actions very intelligently to be able to keep themselves afloat. Uh, but uh, it's true that uh, you can get a lot done with money, but also then the question is how to use that money effectively. And then the, you need to be intelligent. Yeah. Or appoint people that are intelligent yeah, that true. work for money. I, I want to make the point uh, about the intelligence explosion and recursive self-improvement that I think that from a safety perspective, the whole question is irrelevant because from a safety perspective, it doesn't matter uh, when we have super intelligence because in my view, human level intelligence, like we just talked about, would be enough to take over the world. So be the biggest danger that you can have. So uh, human level intelligence requires us to give a 10 out of 10 in effort on safety, I would say. So it's not like human level intelligence should get a nine in safety and then super intelligence should get a 10 of our effort. We have to give it everything we've got already uh, for human level. Yes. So I think two things against that kind of like the, the first is that um, the idea of other than just yeah, people at researchers actually working at AI safety, you also need to have actually an infrastructure and governance to kind of yes. ensure that and that like, you know, whatever the best practices gets followed and that awareness kind of gets built up through these kind of warning shots of like, oh, now we've reached this, now we've reached this, we should be scared. And then, you know, you have people that actually create the policy that make sure that this gets done. And so if it's a slower timeline, you have more time for that to happen. You see how slow, like climate change, we knew about this for a long time. We're still, we can see the yeah. effects already for a long time. And you do see that things are kind of churning, but it's all very slow. And so the longer you have, I think, the higher of a chance you have for it to go well. And then another thing is the decisive strategic advantage. If there can be multiple AGIs that are competing against each other, that would also... Uh, Reduce, at least there's competition between those. 
So there's not like total domination, but like multiple AGIs ruling over us. So that could be a more beneficial situation than the one in which there's only one. Oh, and another one is of course that if there if there's not an expectation of a decisive strategic advantage, there's not going to be as much of an arms race to be the first one to get to the AGI. And then you also have time to implement safety measures. So you're saying that if uh, people do not expect they will be able to get a decisive strategic advantage, that they um, will then uh, race less, less of a race. So, and then there's, they could uh, take more time for safety measures, right? Yeah, and, and yeah, be less aggressive overall. Like you saw with uh, the development of the nuclear bomb, a lot of what pushed that forward really quickly and caused them to you know also actually use it was because they were afraid that the Soviet Union would be the first one. So it was kind of this arms race against each other. And if you don't really have an expectation of someone being like, you know, right on your tail, you won't do that as much. Or if you expect that to have less of an effect that they are right on your tail. Yeah, there could also be a multipolar scenario, indeed, uh, that there's mul multiple at uh, similar levels of competence. Uh, but uh, the faster the recursive self-improvement happens, uh, the greater the difference. But um, let me get to another topic. Do you think AI is an existential risk? So uh, to be clear, that means uh, is there a risk that AI will kill all of us? Well, definitely with the scenarios that are that are proposed, that that like the hypothetical scenarios, definitely those are. And whether they will be the case or not, I don't know. But I certainly wouldn't want to risk it. For like Yana said, it's like not a threat of AGI, but a threat of a threat of AGI. You know, like, there's a possibility that it could be the case. Yeah, but in practice, that's there's no distinction, right? A, a threat of a threat and an actual threat. No, I wouldn't say so. Yeah. Um, unless it's like a, unless there's like a very small chance, and then you're just willing to take that gamble because you have better things to worry about. Uh, but I think with AI, there's so much that is unknown, but that is more and more kind of happening so quickly and developing so quickly that you do want to be ahead of it. And a lot of risk usually is like after the fact being like, Oh, what can we do now to make it more safe in the future? And here that will be too late. Yeah. I just uh, read a piece of, uh, uh, Eliza Yudkowsky on, uh, ways uh, in which AGI, uh, would kill us in, uh, is in his perspective. And, um, he also talks about that the, the main, one of the main sources of uh, how dangerous this is is that it has to be correct on the first try if we don't have retries. And uh, we always have retries in technology. Also, nuclear bombs couldn't be, were tested. But if the test goes wrong with AGI, that's the end of it. Yeah, definitely. And I guess you have the same problem now with all-out nuclear war, because we have much more uh, capable nuclear weapons. And now we have only one try of like 
making not causing another yeah, world war. True. Yeah, I hope that goes well. <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah. Um, I want to say where I think the main danger comes from. Um, there's there's many dangers of humans with bad intentions. Like if a human, if it's aligned and it does what the human wants, but the human wants it wants to destroy the world or be like a Hitler situation, uh, that could be bad. But there's there's one thing that I think every human, well, mo almost every human could agree on, and that's um, that we want to prevent the following type of scenario. So a group or individual have a good idea and decide to just test it and see what it does, like an AGI idea, and the AGI pulls off a treacherous turn. So for the audience, what is a treacherous turn? That is uh, when the AI um, lies and acts like uh, it does everything we want and it acts like it's the good student and the friendly AI, but actually it's waiting for its chance uh, to have a decisive strategic advantage and after that do its own thing. Um, so if it, if it does that and it keeps the humans happy, but... In the meanwhile, it uh, breaks out. It copies itself to distant corners of the internet, like a hundred different uh, places, and uh, starts to implement its world takeover plan in secret, which could take 20 years. But if it successfully does it in secret, um, then uh, it could one day decide to uh, take control of the world and uh, perhaps kill all humans. And that's something that no programmer wants to happen. Uh, not even North Korea wants their AI to accidentally uh, destroy the world. So everybody can get behind that. And that's why I think there is like a large uh, opportunity or chance that we can get uh measures regulations and laws in place to prevent this scenario or to decrease the chance of it uh, so what what do you think is the is the dangerous scenario is it something like this or is there something else on your mind yes yeah, so i am thinking definitely something like that i will share a lot of the general uh aspects that you just mentioned but it's probably going to be also because because of something banal it's not going to be something very exciting there's a oh i don't know the short story right now but like from from the book uh, i think mike's children about huge satellite being built and it blocks the sun and all earth life dies and then people are like at least we're dying for something but then it just sends out a signal to to another distant planet to do the same thing and build a huge satellite there again. It'll be something stupid like that. That's what I'm also thinking. They're going to be stupid. And it, and it will be something that, uh, yeah, kind of like what you said. And that we're not going to walk away with open arms and be like, oh, this is great. And then it's like, oh, this isn't actually. It's just, it actually does something completely different from what we envisioned it would do. Uh, yeah, I do think that there would be some like cults or terrorist organizations that wouldn't mind that are kind of suicidal already and that wouldn't mind everyone dying, but definitely like yeah. all nation states should work to prevent this. 
that I don't think they want. I don't think they're suicidal nations. That's that's an interesting uh, take. Like uh, there could be uh, like some cult or something who wants to use it uh, to uh, go down in history as the ones who ended history. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What do you think uh, we can do to push down the probability of a bad outcome? So you'd need to quantify this, but I feel like awareness amongst people of these dangers would lead to political interest of these dangers, would lead to a policy of these dangers, would lead to a more safe outcome. Uh, so that's one of them. Yeah, I agree. That's something you can even have like tiny things like, you know, actually employ people like at a university whose job it is to work on this safety research and but i'm also not entirely sure how much awareness actually contributes to political interest change but i'm assuming it would does to some extent let's uh talk about regulations i sent you some um uh, some writing I did about uh, possible regulations and uh, these are ideas that I have not consulted any policy expert on yet. So very uh, early phase, um, but it's interesting to, to have a discussion. So I said it, it would increase the safety of the world if we would require the setup where they test the AGI or they train the the almost human level AGI to not be connected to the internet. No physical connection that is able to connect to the internet. What's your response to that? Seems great if you are able to do it. I don't know how feasible it is in practice. But I, I don't why, think that's... Why not? There just needs to be like one leak to get somewhere that it can like self-replicate for like a, a single moment. Cases of like, like we just had a Faraday cage, right? Because there's cases of like using radio waves to communicate in some way. Yeah, and one of the other requirements I thought of was create a Faraday cage around uh, the setup. I think we, everything we can think of to make it safer, we should deploy. But you're you're saying like maybe there's some way around it uh, for the internet connection, for example. And I would say we have to try anyway. So even if it's not a hundred percent chance that it'll be successful, not trying is worse, right? Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think. Saying, well, there's a way in which it could go wrong, so let's just not bother. I don't think that that's the right approach. Yeah. If we if we say, like, yes, we, we need to require this, uh, so no internet connection on the setup, that would already require a lot of good stuff to happen because we would need a regulating agency that is able to do inspections and we would need to know who the people are attempting to build an AGI and we would we would need to have a 
established a way of determining whether something is like has some potential of being a world takeover kind of danger and that's really difficult and i have no idea how to do that but um we should try to develop some method for that as soon as possible i'd say and if if only this one requirement of no internet connection could be something people agree on then we could start to spin up this engine of regulation that could make it more safe for us yeah definitely and it but it's also difficult you know like that you said that yourself already it's like when is someone working on agi how do we define that Uh, and that there's nothing set there because we don't even know really what an agi is in practice and when should we call it an agi like are like that's, there's already contention on like these large language models, the extent to which they are an AGI or not. Should we have these large language models not have access to the internet? Well, I think these types of current models do not have a breakout risk, but it's hard to estimate what change in their performance would bring them over the threshold where they do have a risk of breaking out to do their own thing in secret. I used uh, ChatGPT uh, for a bit, um, and ChatGPT is uh, a new large language model AI created by the company OpenAI, and it's uh, been out now for about uh, uh, one and a half week as of recording this episode. And people are like top AI people are crazy enthusiastic about it they're really, really positive and saying it's great in all kinds of ways and also non-ai people saying it's really useful like coders and uh, people who do creative writing yeah how far is it from being an agi well uh, i don't know but i i think it feels already pretty close uh it feels pretty intelligent have you used it a little bit yeah what was uh, your impression? Yeah, it was impressive. Uh, but it, I guess it goes back to what I talked about at the start. Is like there's this thesis of can an AGI spring kind of out of a narrow AI, kind of a non-AGI, or does it need to be an AGI from the start? Because in, if it's the latter, if that's what we believe, then it's like this is a language model. Its input is language. Its output is language and nothing more. And then, of course, it can do a lot of things with language, and you know what it can. And with language, you can already do a lot. So it seems yeah. like it has these these tons of capabilities, but really, you know, it's a TXT file that can be its output, and so it can never do anything dangerous directly. Only maybe through people that do something with this text. Yeah, and that's pretty dangerous. There, yeah, I, then, I read I read top uh, AI safety people arguing like uh, a text interface is enough to do some real damage because you indeed can convince people to work for you. But I think uh, it's wrong to uh, look at just ChatGPT and think, oh, at this stage, our top AI is only text because uh, Flamingo by DeepMind does a combination of images uh, uh, looking at a short video and text and 
from the paper, what I saw, it it had some pretty crazy examples about how good it was in talking about in a conversation images and short video. So I think it's just a, a cost decision for OpenAI to focus only on text, but we're all already at text, video, uh, images uh, combination, and uh, you already have the, the Gato uh, model by DeepMind where they had uh, one AI do robotic manipulation and image and test uh, text um, uh, jobs or assignments. So uh, we're already in this multimodal territory. Yeah, but then you can still define that search space as just, just being that. And then so the constraints of any possible you know, goals it might have are also constrained exactly by those bounds that it can get its its input in and has to, has to produce an output in. And yeah, and so then again, the, the dangers would lie elsewhere in the interactions with it and it purely its output. I'm not sure I understand what you mean. Uh, where Where else would the dangers lie instead of its output? People, people doing it, something with them. Yeah. Okay. Like how you have deep fake itself is not dangerous, but you know it can lead to dangerous situations where people are being impersonated, for example. Hmm. Interesting. But I think it does start to have all ingredients of what makes a human be able to act dangerously in terms of its output. Controlling your body is like controlling a robot, and. Uh, outputting text is like writing and speaking and being able to understand and inter interpret video is like uh, seeing yeah but um, something else um, I want to share an experience that uh, I had using ChatGPT there was this situation where uh, we have a new baby in the in the family and i noticed that chat gpt is really good at making poems so the baby there was a an elephant stuffed animal next to the baby and we were joking around that oh there's a battle between the baby and the elephant and the baby is gonna puke the elephant to death and then i asked uh, chat gpt to write a poem about this situation and it wrote the poem and I read it to everyone and uh, multiple people started laughing. And I was like, whoa, this AI is able to make us laugh at the first shot of what it's trying to do. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's also trained on everything human, right? So like the question is, to what extent is it parasitic and feeding off of humans that are already funny and producing something funny? And in which way are humans already that way themselves? I think. Yeah, but you could say the same thing about humans. Like we we also have inspiration, of course. And that's the question: Are we at the the same exactly the same level as these AGIs, like parasitically feeding off the content we get given? We're just not aware of it. We think it's our original thoughts. I think mostly it's parasitic, but maybe less so than an AGI. Now you were saying AGI, where I think you meant to say current oh, yeah. models, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I guess you could say the same for 
an eventual AGI, but I meant the yeah, like the current language models. And I guess it also for the stable diffusion models as well. Yeah. So back to the part about regulations. I've been thinking about the treacherous turn and what to do about it. And uh, what I came up with is uh, what I uh, sent you, um, where you create a simulated environment which might have humans in it as game characters, which are like actors. And um, uh, in the environment, there is no data about our world. Um, it's purely um, um, fictional all. And um, then you could train an AGI in this world in a way in which the AGI believes that there are no people watching it and uh, having an opinion about its uh, uh, behavior outside of the game characters in the game. And if you could accomplish that, then you could test an AGI and see whether it starts to kill people and or k kill game characters and take control of this world to do its own thing. I know one person who liked the idea because there was a professor in uh, uh, in AI safety who liked some tweet I did about it. But I'm interested to hear your uh, your response. Yeah, I guess we already talked earlier about like the difficulties that come with getting a complex environment and having that environment be optimized for it to even gain capabilities to begin with. Uh, but once I think once yeah, once you have all that set and done, uh, yeah, I guess you can kind of observe it being like, oh, now it's going to go the, undergo the treacherous turn within the simulation. But then if like if there's any way for it, I guess you, it's already set in, in your situation it doesn't know. But of course, the moment that it knows, it's like you got to just only extend the time until it's like, okay, now I'm outside of the situation, simulation, now I can start undergoing the treacherous turn. I didn't understand what you said. You, so, were you say, can you say it again? Yeah. So in the simulation, you want to see whether it behaves nicely or first behaves nicely until it like knows it can do whatever it wants. Yeah. But then if it knows it's in a simulation, it knows it should start continue behaving nicely all the way until it's no longer in a simulation until it's in real life. And then it starts doing what it wants. She's only have the exact same problem as before, but just nested one level deeper. Yeah. If it's convincing enough, it would solve it. And it's like, yeah, but if it's not, you just still have the same problem. And I guess you can, can keep nesting it. You can have a simulation and a simulation and a simulation and then see <laughs> if it does it or not. Uh, yeah. Will it be clever enough to figure it out or not? Yeah. I don't know if you also read this. It's I think in the the in the book that you're reading by Ostrom Superintelligence, where he talks yeah. about have an AGI in the real world, but have it think that in the real world is actually in a simulation and that if it does something wrong, the people outside of the simulation will shut it down. Even though there is no outside of the simulation. Yeah. Um okay. That sounds like a really bad strategy because uh, what if it doesn't believe you? <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. But it's, it's the same with uh, putting it in the simulation and hoping that it believes that it is the real world, but just in a different level. Yeah, but I, I'd say it's really different because in, uh, the, simul in the simulation example I give, um, all of its observations support that this is the only world like humans have like throughout history have believed they are the only place but if we were to only convince it that there are people outside of the simulation that it could go online and see that there are people who disagree with that and stuff like yeah the, the fact that that argument has been made and exists out there for the AGI to find kind of makes it a lot more difficult a lot less convincing I think yeah, and if and if we as you know puny humans could think of it, the AGI definitely could as well. If we try to like erase all traces of it. Yeah, but um, um, I already thought of three ways uh, that it could go wrong, uh, which is that it could get religious. Uh, and that would be like the same situation as what you described, uh, that it thinks there's something outside of its world, which could, can watch it and be judgmental about it, uh, in the same way that, uh, there are people who might want to commit a murder, but think, uh, God will punish me if I do it, even though I want to, so I'm not going to do it. So in that way, some people are aligned to society by God or by believing in God. And it could also be the case that the AGI believes in a similar kind of thing inside this simple world, but then comes into our world and it could then think like, oh no, what I thought before is bullshit. I can do whatever I want in this world, you know, that's. That's a possibility. And another possibility is that uh, we make a mistake. For example, if we do use humans to interact with it as game characters, they could make a mistake or they could leave on their microphone while their mom uh, comes in to have a conversation uh, or something. So that's uh, risky. Yeah, or, or they could break out, find a way to break out of the simulated uh, setting in a hacking kind of way. But um, my point is that so it's it's definitely a risky situation. But if we don't do not attempt it, just with as with the internet thing, then we don't have retries. And I kind of think that if we don't have retries, we will fail because it's just too hard to properly align an AGI. What do you think? Uh, well, so I kind of think if it's yeah, if it's religious. In the real world, that'd be ideal. And if those religious values would be something like, you know, be nice to those humans. That'd it feels be really weird situation. to feels really weird to talk about an AGI as being religious in some way. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of the options. So please continue. So I do think that when you put it in a simulation, it is. So I guess this is a central problem with. And of anything with super intelligence, it is super intelligent. So anything we can think of, it can think beyond that, right? But if we think if cases that could go wrong in, then that probably means there's like a hundred more cases that we cannot think up in which it can go wrong. And I think in the, like what you said with someone leaving their microphone on, and I think there would be ways that there's like, you know, somehow digital artifacts 
coming through that it's able to reason about that it is in a simulation or something like that. But it's not like I have a better solution to it. So I think that, that kind of leaves it in the middle. Yeah, but it it would uh, it would be like a, if we say you have to do this to AI researchers uh, around the world, um, it's really a big ask because current current methods use big data to get good. Um, used to they you read the internet, for example. But if we have an AGI read the internet, then it knows all our weaknesses and uh, everything that's going on. So then, yeah, that that would not be uh, wise, I think. No, definitely not. Because there, yeah, there's just too much there on the internet. That it, like when I talked before about like search spaces, where it's like if you are a general agent. But like the, the internet kind of means that when you play chess, you know that you get the chance to win a game against your opponent if the opponent dies. And then if, you, if you're confined to just playing chess, you know that you have to win chess by playing chess. We don't even really know what winning chess is. You just got to know what to do to get the higher reward. And that's, I guess, a more general problem. Like the more things that it access to, the more general its reasoning capacity you kind of expect to be. Uh, I missed the beginning of the chess example, so could you do the beginning again? So if you if I have an AI system playing chess and all it knows is kind of the board state, you know the possible moves on a board, then that's also the only space which in within which it can reason. And so the only way it can win is by playing chess well. Or like, maybe it doesn't know what winning is, but have a high expected value. And if you have uh, an AI that has access to the internet, it can read articles or something about, or what are the rules for if the opponent dies? And it can find out, like, oh, if the opponent dies, then you get the chance to win the chess game. Even though the polite <laughs> thing to do is to resign, but, you know, it doesn't have to for a higher expected value. And then it can find ways if it has different ways to interface you know like even if it can still only uh move the pieces on the boards maybe it knows like if i move the pieces in this way that's exactly the last game he played with his wife before his wife died and he'll be so sad he'll kill himself <laughs> and then i win the game yeah so I can't leave those guys <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> that's pretty dark man but creative yeah could be. <laughs> right. I think um, I've uh, covered uh, what I wanted to cover. Is there something uh, you want to ask me or discuss? I guess what I'm wondering, where, where you stand on this, is uh, like a lot of people see different like starting points for, for a judge to like, take off. And then it's like, I guess the point of uh, being a human, a human level artificial general intelligence, is a common one. But then we already have a lot of uh, a lot of humans, and they're not able to either create an AGI or create an or recursively solve a proof on themselves. So why why would it be that bar? or Should it be set higher? You're asking why human level as a starting point? 
Yeah. Is that enough? Could it be less? Could should it be more? Yeah. I don't have a good answer on that. I am I'm, I'm pretty confident to be able to say that nobody has a good answer on that. Uh because it hasn't happened yet. But uh I have seen that uh Nick Bostrom and uh also Tim Urban have um talked about and tim urban made a nice gra- a nice little meme or graphic about it that we tend to think uh human level human level station is really important but that it could be that it doesn't stop the ai doesn't stop at human level station but indeed it could be the case that uh it could have a lower than human starting point and self-improve in a way that we do not have a situation where we are at human level for a year with the world or something, but that actually in uh, a few days, it goes from a sub subhuman system to a super intelligent system. So I think the possibilities uh, are all on the table. Yeah. And then it's, its capacity to self-improve lies in the fact that it has just these simple, but like more easy access to self-modify than current, you know, biological life has. But like, you know, you have to, as a human, you have to learn or you have to use technology and that's cumbersome. And AGI can just, you know, slot in more memory, more computation, and it can change its own code. Whereas we can change our own DNA, we learn with the neurons we have, and it's all very slow and cumbersome. And is that why you think that then it takes off so quickly? Uh, yeah, I would fully agree with what you just said. Um, I expect the improvement from starting at human level or just below human level uh, to uh, a large improvement gain. It can be done relatively easily by changing a hyperparameter. Uh, because if you look at uh, current um, models, current AIs, you see that they improve with with scale, with uh, the amount of parameters uh, they use. And if you have the architecture that works for a human level or a subhuman level, but really good AI, I think if you look at that architecture, you, you can say like, okay, this works. Uh, how would it work if it was a hundred times larger or how would it look work if the working memory is not like humans have four or five chunks of information at a time, but it's a thousand chunks of information at one time. And in this way, I think there will be easier improvements that you could make that evolution did not make because of its constraints, like being energy efficient, for example. Yeah, and I think a huge one for evolution is you can't think multiple steps ahead, right? If you have one step ahead and then you've traveled genetic fitness, you can't go like five step ahead where like the intermediate steps are worse to get to something much better. It, it can't, you know, it's blind in a way. Uh, you mean evolution is blind? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, evolution is... Uh... It's like the best example of a trial and error situation. 
instead of uh, planning, uh, which could be seen as thinking steps ahead. Yeah. And then do you think that there's no, because you can't, I guess you could go online and get more like, uh, buy more storage space and computation. Yeah. Uh, so you don't need to have like physical things to integrate that. But for something like understanding code, because there's also like, you know, people that think the starting point has to be for an AGI that is at the level of a human AGI engineer. Yeah. So that it can knows actually how to interact with this AGI system. So with its own code in that case and adapt it and modify. I think that that's way too high of a demand. Um, I don't know. Uh, it does seem sensible to me that it should be able to code. Um, so I think that that's a requirement, but OpenAI had an interesting piece of text on this where they had a blog post in which they described their way of tackling alignment at OpenAI. And they said that they were hoping that they could train an alignment assistant AI that would help them align their most capable system and be increasingly able to uh, take tasks off their own plate and put it on this helper alignment AI system plate. And that sounded really weird to me because the the question is like, uh, doesn't this alignment helper AI uh, need to be aligned? And uh, they were like, maybe, but maybe not. So we're going to try it. I, I thought like, doesn't this alignment helping AI doesn't, doesn't that have to be a fully fledged AGI? Uh, and they were like, we don't know, maybe. So that's what top experts think. Yeah, yeah not too convincing, not too reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not too reassuring. At least they're doing something, you know. They don't have. They don't have to. There's no policy yet. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's true. I I uh, I think it's a, a good step in the right direction. Also, that they're being public about it. That's really important. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, I think, is maybe requiring to not be open source on high, ca highly capable AI systems. Um, and you also uh, said that you uh, you agree, and maybe you can elaborate on that. Yeah, so uh, as Nick Bostrom wrote about this uh, concept of information hazards, where it's like information, because I guess people kind of tend to think that like, you know, knowledge is good and that the knowledge being out there is good, but there's certain information that is dangerous in a way. Uh, and an example, like if you if everybody knows how to make a nuclear bomb or a deadly virus, even when they really don't want it to go wrong, and when they're like, they see the dangers of it, you can still be kind of dumb. Or there only has to be like one dumb person in there to try it out, see what happens for it to go terribly wrong. And you can make the same case for AGI. Or you just have to 
have someone that's like not at all convinced of the dangers, but excited about its possibilities. Well, like we talked earlier about those those cults or terrorist organizations, that if they're out there, that then you end up with a terrible situation for the rest. Yeah, definitely. So keeping that kind of information secret would definitely help in the well in those situations that are occurring or not being as likely to occur. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I think uh, it would be better if it's uh, if it has to be kept secret or only uh, shared with people who are approved by a regulating agency to be responsible on this topic and educated on this topic. But you you said maybe there's a person that doesn't really believe in the risks and uh, is really excited by the promises. And I was surprised to read in the Life 3.0 book by uh, Max Tegmark, which I highly recommend. So in Life 3.0, he starts with um, a piece on one of the Google uh, co-founders and uh, how he was in a discussion at a party with Elon Musk about the risks of artificial intelligence. And this clearly super intelligent, well, really intelligent person um, was arguing like, no, it'll be fine. We don't have to worry about the risks. And that that was like really crazy for me to hear that. Yeah. If I, re- if I remember correctly, he was also talking about Oh, you people who are worried about the risks are just very prejudiced against silicone life, and you're all about the carbon life forms. So, like, he was actually being like, "If we all, we all, all of us humans die, it's not that bad because we have these AIs that will like do great things without us, and that's worth something or like enough for him apparently to not to not worry about it that much, or maybe even see it as a better outcome." Yeah, I, I think I understood that too. And uh, I also had some conversations with um, random people I know where sometimes they say like, oh, who cares? Like, it's okay if it, uh, if the party ends at, uh, at some point. Uh, we had a good run. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind that much. <laughs> and then I'm like, dude, you're a grandpa. You have grandkids. Why don't you want to save their life it's like uh, i don't know like at some point it has to end so (laughs) yeah so no no, not everybody cares about saving the world uh, currently no definitely and i think maybe what what would help for these kinds of people is that they think what will come after will be really great but in a different way like you have these very nihilistic people about the climate for example which like all of us humans are going to go extinct but then you know, nature will heal itself and it will be amazing. But these cases with the artificial, like the super intelligent AI, yeah. it's it's so likely to be something really stupid that it's going to kill everyone <laughs> for. And it's like, okay, great. Now we have, well, I guess, again, the, the example of the paper clips, you know, and we have a universe full of paper clips. I don't feel like that was worth dying for. Maybe if it made something really cool, you know, some really cool art. It's like, okay, you can make a couple sacrifices, but yeah. Yeah, I totally understand what you mean. Uh, it it could be the case, uh, like uh, the paperclip maximizer for the audience is an, uh, 
uh, a famous example of uh, AI that has the goal to create as much paperclips as possible. And because it really wants paperclips, it destroys humanity uh, and all uh, possible life on other planets to colonize space and uh, build as much paperclips as possible. Another example I like to think about, which is really easy to specify, is create calculate as much digits of uh, the number pi as possible. So 3.14 point, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's really easy to specify, but it does require destroying our world and destroying all life optimizing for that to put uh, data centers everywhere to calculate this extract all resources and things like that so yeah i don't want to die for that <laughs> no me neither uh, all right um i want to end the podcast here i want to thank you for your contributions and being our first guest awesome my first guest Thank you for having me. And to you, the listener, thank you for listening. If you have positive or helpful negative feedback, I would love to hear from you. Or if you have ideas on how to ensure a safe transition to AGI, I would love to talk to you. It could be on the activism side or on the regulation side or something else. I'm currently doing a solo, but I would like to form a team. In the description you will find my email address, my Twitter account, my YouTube channel and you can also find me on LinkedIn. I also put some links there in the description that were mentioned in the episode. If you decide to reach out, I would really appreciate that. I really believe you and I can make a difference on this topic. Take care.